Well, good morning, everyone. I hope you had a great Easter Sunday. I wanted to take a chance to um, redo my sermon from Friday. I know uh, our Good Friday service, we live streamed, or tried to live stream. It didn't really go that well. Uh, the audio was uh, just awful. <laughs> and so um, I wanted to take this time to just uh, kind of uh, essentially let you guys uh, hear again what I said on on Friday. Uh, the audio was almost impossible to hear, and so I wanted to give you guys a chance to, to hear what I had to say. I know it's coming after Easter Sunday, and it was intended to be uh, heard on Good Friday before Easter, but uh, hopefully uh, this will be encouraging to you as we look into the book of Lamentations, see the people of Israel uh, and their suffering and their sorrow and their anguish. Um, and we can learn a little bit from it and, and still be encouraged as we continue to think about what it is that God has done for us in Christ Jesus. So I'm going to pray and then I'm going to jump into Lamentations here. God, we, we pray for this, uh, this lesson, Lord. Pray for this, um, uh, Lord, instruction that you have for us in the book of Lamentations. I pray that it would be helpful, that it would be encouraging. I pray for uh, our congregation and, Lord, congregations all over the world that, honestly, Easter this year just hasn't been the same. Uh, Lord, I pray that they would be encouraged. I pray for pastors as they seek to teach, nurture, shepherd their congregation in the midst of uh, all of this chaos. Lord, I pray for us as a church that through all of this we would maintain unity, uh, that we would stand together in the face of all of this pain and and sorrow in frustrating times and lord i pray for this time as we look into your word that we would be encouraged that we'd be emboldened that we would be lord molded more into the image of christ and we pray this in his name amen uh, so if you have your bibles and want to go ahead and turn with me to the book of lamentations that's where we're going to uh, be looking at for the first portion of our sermon here. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about this book. This is a really awesome book uh, that honestly, in many cases, tends to get just overlooked, tends to get moved right past. Uh, even for myself, I know I've, I've read the book of Lamentations uh, a couple times, but it's almost always been either in the context of a seminary class or in a, a year-long reading through the Bible. And it's one of those books that I would tend to read through. Didn't really understand a lot of that, but that's okay. I just keep moving, keep pressing through uh, to the next thing. So it's been really encouraging for me uh, lately as myself and some of the other guys at church have been working through the book of Lamentations, kind of unpacking a lot of what is in there. And the book itself is set in such a unique time and place. It is a, a book that talks about the, the lament, the pain, the sorrow that the people of Israel are feeling as they are uh, now, many of them have been exiled into um, a, a foreign land. They have been uh, taken by the, the Babylonians and are now being forced to live in a land that is not their, their own. And this book comes right after the destruction of Jerusalem, where this holy city, this city that has been so great and known across the, the known world at the times and, and has such great renown and, and is, you know, the, the place where the temple is. It has now been destroyed and is in ruin. 
And this book is the book in which the people of God lament over the destruction of Jerusalem. It is a book that is filled with, with language that is just so raw and so hard, honestly, for us to, to read. But it's an important book for us to read. It's important for us as believers today to look at the book of Lamentations, uh, to see the, the lament and the, the pain that they are feeling uh, in the midst of this really dark time. So let me read for you just a, a small portion of Lamentations. I'm going to read for you chapter 2, verses 8 through 13 in Lamentations. Chapter 2, starting in verse 8. The Lord determined to lay in ruins the wall of the daughter of Zion. He stretched out the measuring line. He did not restrain his hand from destroying. He caused rampart and lament and walls to lament. They languished together. Her gates have sunk into the ground. He has ruined and broken her bars. Her king and princes are among the nations. The law is no more, and her prophets find no vision from the Lord. The elders of the daughter of Zion sit on the ground in silence. They have thrown dust on their heads and put on sackcloth. The young women of Jerusalem have bowed their heads to the ground. My eyes are spent with weeping. My stomach churns. My bile is poured out to the ground because the destruction of the daughter of my people, because infants and babies faint in the street. They cry to their mothers, where is bread and wine? As they faint like a wounded man in the streets of the city as their life is poured out on their mother's bosom. What can I say for you? To what compare you, O daughter of Jerusalem? What can I liken you that I may comfort you, O virgin daughter of Zion? For your ruin is vast as the sea. Who can heal you? As we see in this just small portion of Lamentations, it is a book full of pain and of language just like this. Uh, all the way through from, from chapter 1 through chapter 5, this is the overarching uh, message of this book. It is one of lament, it is one of sorrow. And one of the most important lessons that, that we should learn from the book of Lamentations is that lament is a part of God's will and that God can still be glorified even as we lament. Ecclesiastes 3 reminds us, right, that there is a time to weep and there's a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. In the time that Lamentations was wrote, it was indeed a time for weeping, a time for mourning. The Christian response to hardship is not to act like hardship doesn't exist, though that's so often what we do. We tend to want to put on a happy face and pretend like everything is okay. And to be a Christian, as we all well know, doesn't mean that hard times never come our way. It doesn't mean that we never struggle. It doesn't mean we never have reason to lament. In fact, we know that in many cases to be a Christian means you will have more reason to lament, more reason for sorrow, and you will have more pain in your life. All we have to do is look to our Christian brothers in places where it's illegal to be a Christian. And we see that, that in many cases, to be a Christian means there's more opportunity for lament. But weeping, lamenting, crying out in pain is not outside of the will of God, nor is it out of step with the Christian life. In fact, God has included, as a part of his word, an entire book dedicated to lament. 
to that very theme. An entire book, the entire theme of Lamentations is one that is almost exclusively sorrow. In this book, we, we have uh, uh, virtually no immediate relief to the sorrow. Instead, the writer of Lamentations allows the lament to, to sit on us, allows us to feel the weight of, of the pain, of the sorrow. He allows us to, to finish this book without seeing some great victory, but rather the book ends the same way it begins, with lament and with more sorrow. This makes this book so much different than the message that we hear today from so many uh, Christian movies and, and books. We see over and over again this same type of, of Christian movie and Christian book that comes out. And, and I have to be honest with you, I really, I'm not a big fan of Christian movies. If you've ever heard me and Matt uh, and Robert talk about it, we're not a huge fan of, of most Christian movies that, that come out today. And there's multiple reasons, but one of the biggest reasons is that they're so not representative of what Christian life is actually like. They're not representative of real life. Over and over again, what you see in these movies, and, and what I hate about it, is you essentially see uh, a bit of prosperity gospel coming out in almost all of those movies, where yes, these people are, are maybe going to go through some hard time in the movie. They're maybe going to hit a low in the movie, but every single time when they you know, decide to put their faith in God, their, their entire life here on earth turns around, and things are always better for them. They get the new truck. They win the race. They... Uh, have this or that. And that is just not so often what happens in real life. The, the thing is, when, when we are a Christian, it doesn't mean that we no longer face hard times. And it doesn't mean that those hard times aren't, are just going to end like that if we uh, trust in Jesus. That's not what it means to be a Christian. And that's kind of my beef with so many Christian movies is that they completely misrepresent what it means to be a Christian and, and portray the Christian life as, as almost all uh, rainbows and, and unicorns. And that's just not the way it is. We know this. If, if you are a follower of Christ today, and then you know that that's just not true. So often, Christian life is just as hard or harder than life for everyone else. The book of Lamentations finds the people of God in what is probably the most horrific thing that has happened to them since their slavery in Egypt. They have been overtaken by their enemies. They've been exiled into a foreign land. And now the great city of Jerusalem has been destroyed. And they respond correctly to this. They respond with this book of lament. They respond by crying out, by complaining, by, by weeping. And this is the right way to respond. Not only is it right, but God includes it as a part of his word. These are, these are included, these passages, these poems are included in the word of God for us. And we need not miss that, that, that lament is a part of God's word. Not just the story of their vindication, but in, in fact, the whole book is dedicated to lament. The whole book of Lamentations. God uses even this for his glory and to bring about the purpose that he intends. And he intends for us to see the necessity of it uh, in the book of Lamentations. Notice, too, as we read through the book of Lamentations, we see where their complaints, where their, where their 
sorrow is directed, and it's not directed at the Assyrians, it's not directed at the Persians, it's not directed at the Egyptians, but rather their cries are directed at God. They understand that God has done this thing to them. Their complaint is with God for bringing this about, and they are right, for God did bring this about. Because what is it that caused them to lament? What is it that caused all of this to happen to them? It was God's wrath poured out upon their sin. The people of God knew. They were under no delusion as to why this was happening to them. They knew that it was because of their sin. They knew full well that the Lord was doing this to punish them for their sin. In chapter 1, verse 8, we see uh, this demonstrated. It says, Jerusalem sinned grievously. Therefore, she became filthy. All who honored her despised her, for they have seen her nakedness. She herself groans and turns her face away. Verse 14 of chapter 1 says, My transgressions were bound into a yoke. By his hand they were fastened together. They were set upon my neck. He caused my strength to fail. The Lord gave me into the hands of those whom I cannot withstand. You see, the people of God knew correctly that, the, that this was the Lord that was bringing this about because of their sin. They were under no delusion. They knew why this was happening. In, in fact, verse two, uh, chapter 2, verse 5, points out that God has become like their enemy. It says in verse 5 of chapter 2, The Lord has become like an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. The Lord has become like their enemy. We see in, in chapter 3, verse 1, that God uses the, the rod of, of his wrath. In chapter 3, verse 1, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. This is God. And the rod of his wrath is what is causing these people to suffer. We see this word rod used in other places, maybe most prominently in uh, Psalm 23, uh, where the Lord is described as our good shepherd. And the, the psalmist sings that uh, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And we see it in that passage as we look at the Lord as our, as our shepherd that the rod and the staff are described as, as things of comfort. And the rod is different from the staff. The, the staff would be used for, for aiding and walking, right? But the, the rod that a shepherd would carry would be a lot more like a baseball bat. It was a shorter, it was a more heavy-duty piece of wood that was used for defending the flock against intruders, against thieves, against wolves or, or other beasts. It was used as a weapon to defend the flock. But now, in Lamentations, we see that the, the rod has been turned against the people of God and is used to discipline them, is used as an instrument of God's wrath against his own people. We see in, in chapter 2, verse 5 again, uh, such reminiscent language. In the second half, he says, He has swallowed up all its places. He has laid in ruins its stronghold. We see these words, and it's reminiscent, uh, to me at least, of the story of Jericho. How the people of God, when they, when they came up against this great fortress of Jericho in, in the book of Joshua, God provided for them an overwhelming victory over the people of Jericho. And it was a victory provided only by God. They took no part in this victory. They had no credit for, for the victory. But they 
uh, merely received the benefits of it. But what did God do? God utterly brought Jericho to ruin. Not one stone was left on another after he was done with it. He brought the walls crashing down. And so now we see that the God who was acting as the enemy of Jericho is now turned and is the enemy of his own people. That the same kind of destruction he brought upon them, he has now brought upon the people of Israel. These are hard and painful words for us to, to read. I can only imagine how much harder and more painful it would have been for these people to experience, to, to face God's wrath in this way. And yet it was the will of God to demonstrate his wrath upon his people so as to make them see the seriousness of their sin, to make them understand the weight, the, the gravity of sin. This directs us, as so many verses do, back to the sovereignty of God, that we can trust that all things that happen are a part of his will, even the bad things that happen to us, even the things that cause us anguish, that cause us pain, just like the people of Israel. But it's necessary for us to see that this was because of sin. God would have us see that sin is a serious thing. So often we take it too lightly. Think of it as nothing. Think of it as no big deal. Just recently I was listening on NPR and there was this guy named Bart Ehrman that was being interviewed on NPR. And if you don't know who Bart Ehrman is, he basically is uh, as a guy who used to be a Christian. Uh, he's very intelligent. He's a scholar. Uh, and he is now like made it his mission uh, to go out and, and basically um, debunk, quote-unquote, uh, Christianity and debunk the ideas of heaven and hell and, and, and all of these things. And he, in this interview, is talking about how uh, heaven and hell don't exist, that they, they are not, that especially hell. He talks over and over again about how hell does not exist. And, and he basically says, I think when we die, we just, it's basically like going to sleep. It's like nothing. But he said, if it is anything, I think it's something good. Uh, totally just wanting to erase hell uh, and keep only the good, uh, if, in, if anything, right? He's, he's fine with the idea of heaven, but the idea of hell to him is, is atrocious. But he says in this interview, uh, when, when the interviewer asks him, like, what would you tell people? How would you encourage them? What would you say in these, in these times? He would say, and, and, and he said, I would say, live for the moment. Worry about uh, enjoying life now. Make the most of your life now. Don't worry about the future, but, but live for today. And we hear these words and, and we hear these types of things in movies and it sounds good to us, but that's the total opposite of what Scripture would have us do. Scripture would say, no, what life you have here is fleeting. It is for a moment. But why would you sacrifice all of your eternity for this fleeting moment here on earth. Yet that's what so many people do because they fail to see the seriousness of sin. They fail to understand why hell would be a just punishment for those of us who, would, who have rebelled against God. But the fact of the matter is that the, the lament that the people of Israel are facing, the pain, the anguish that they are going through is merely a taste of what true pain and anguish look like. It's merely a taste. The pain, the suffering, the sorrow, uh, that is expressed in the book of Lamentations does not compare to the pain and the sorrow that Christ would bear on the cross. The people of God in Lamentations were experiencing the rod of God's wrath 
because of their own sin. But Christ would drink the full cup of God's wrath because of all of our sin. The full cup of God's wrath was poured out upon Christ for each and every one of our sin. We see a full and painful picture of lament when we see Christ on the cross. Turn with me to Mark chapter 15 as we look at this. Mark chapter 15, verses 33 through 39. We see the death of Jesus in a true and full picture of lament here. Verse 33. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders heard it and said, behold, he is calling to Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. It's interesting for us to notice as we read this, uh, this passage in the, the gospel of Mark, it's interesting to notice that the way the different writers of the gospels decide to add in or leave out different aspects of the event and the way they, they describe it. Each of them tells the story accurately and correctly, but each one highlights different aspects of the event in order to, um, to emphasize different things in the story. Mark describes the crucifixion in a way that, is, that especially emphasizes the agony, the anguish that Christ felt on the cross. We see the, the vivid mocking of Jesus over and over again through this passage. Even leading up to the cross, we see over and over again how Jesus is mocked, he is ridiculed, he is spat upon. All of these things, such vivid mocking that we see. We see a, a, a less of a description of all the things that Christ said on the cross, all that, uh, that he said to those around and, and to those on the cross with him. We see nothing of, of him assuring the, the man on the cross next to him that he will be in paradise with him. Mark doesn't include that. But instead, we are simply told that he utters a loud cry as he breathes his last. Even in the testimony of the centurion, we see regret saying, truly this man was the son of God. All through this passage, we see lament, we see pain, we see anguish with very little light. And this is where Mark leaves us for now. He's just painted for us a very dark and painful picture with virtually no glimmer of hope in this passage. And for Jesus' disciples and his followers, this is where they were left on Good Friday. They were left with, with this picture of Jesus, with him dying on the cross, and now he was gone. There was no wink of the eye before Jesus died. They are left in much the same place that the people of God were in Lamentations. They were left with pain, with sorrow, 
with anguish. They were left waiting. Church family, we need to let the weight of this sink in. You see, we're so quick to move on to the next part of the story. The story where Christ will in fact rise from the dead. And that is a beautiful and glorious and great part of the story that we need not skip over. But we also need to let the, the picture that we see here of Christ on the cross have its full effect on our lives. We need to feel the weight of what it is that our sin led to. Of, of the consequence of our rebellion against God. And when we see Christ on the cross and the pain, the anguish that he went through, we need to recognize and know that that is because of our sin. He's standing in our place when, we, when he bore God's wrath. The full wrath of God was poured out on him because of our wickedness. Church family, do not move past this too quickly. That it was our sin that caused Christ to die. Hebrews 9.22 tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. The only way that we can be forgiven of our sin was by the shedding of Christ's blood, the perfect sacrificial lamb. Otherwise, there is no forgiveness of sin for us. Use the example that we have seen in the book of Lamentations to lament. Space has been provided for us by God to say it is good and right to lament, especially to lament over our sin, to feel the weight of it, to anguish over it and over the consequences of it. I want to close by, by reading for us the last part of Hebrews chapter 9, starting in verse 24. It says this, For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly, as the high priest enters into the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Let's pray. God, I pray that, that today, though Easter has passed, Lord, that we would let the weight of what it is that you have done for us on the cross sink in. Lord, that we would feel the weight of the story, the picture painted for us in the Gospels of your death, of Christ's crucifixion. Lord, if we read this and are not struck to the core, then we have failed to see the seriousness of our sin. We have failed to see your wrath that is due us, but poured out on Christ. Lord, I pray that that would not be so, but that, that we would feel the weight of our sin, that we would lament. Lord, that we would uh, see the resurrection as far more glorious because of the hope that it provides in the midst of our darkness. And I pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.